Welcome, dear listener, to our fourth season of Weekend at Crombies. Tonight, we'll be looking at Strange Days. Welcome back, dear listener, to uh, the first of our fourth year of Weekend at Crombies. My name is Hugh. I'm your priest, your shrink, your main connection to the switchboard of souls. I'm the magic man, the Santa Claus of the subconscious. <laughs> and I am Dr. James Evans Esquire. You know, one of the ways movies are still better than playback. The music comes up and you know it's over. Speaking of which... Uh, shall we discuss the film now? Strange Days. This was, uh, this was your pick, Strange Days. Yeah, Strange Days, my pick for the first uh, first episode of, of season four. Um, and what a ride it's been for you. Um, so as is, as is uh, befitting our uh, roles and responsibilities with um, Weekend at Crombies, uh, and given that Strange Days has quite a complex and convoluted plot, <laughs> I... Um, uh, I am going to struggle to <laughs> reflect on all of the plot points to create a narrative structure for this particular section of the podcast. So I'm going to hope, and this is off the cuff here, I'm going to hope that Hugh is able to at least kind of kickstart this conversation. Um, yeah, and then I can uh, I can maybe chip in with witty um, witty asides as we go through. So yes, yeah, so Strange Days is a kind of, um, I guess crime thriller action film uh, by uh, Catherine Bigelow um, but to get into, get into the plot uh, it is the distant future the year 2000 it's two years from, the, from uh, two, two years two days from the turn of the millennium um, but yeah it's, it's, it's the far-flung future because this was made in the mid-90s and in this far-flung 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 get my teeth in far-flung future uh, Ray Fiennes is playing Lenny Nero um and that's that's rape spelt r-a-l-p-h <laughs> it's ralph isn't it <laughs> ralph ralph finds <laughs> anyway so um, we'll probably get to lenny nero in this future there is a particular type of technology uh, called the squid um the i can't remember what it stands for can you uh, a subatomic quantum irradiation device the important thing is it spells squid i think yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think what does it mean it means someone wanted the device to say squid <laughs> do you think they came up with squid first i think they definitely came up with squid oh, first. okay yeah <laughs> like what can we say so it's basically it's a kind of a, a hairnet made of electrodes <laughs> that goes on <laughs> it goes on squid. you pop it on your noggin um and then you can basically record what you're doing um and it doesn't just record like through your eyes it records what you feel the adrenaline everything and then having recorded it it goes on what was a compact laser disc that was in vogue for about three months in the middle of the late 90s yeah. um, well, I, in, in fairness, this, this squid device it connects to your cerebral cortex it right? does so yes, it's, yes. It's, you know it, it it provides a a, a visual emotional chemical connection and yes you you are right the mini disc mini was disc. popular for about three months in the mid 90s i had a mini disc player as and did was, I. I, I was I, of all the things i early adopted the mini disc was one of them i think that has um that has meant that i've, I've decided in the future never to early adopt any any other technology because if, if clearly i'm not a good arbiter of judgment 
I was thrilled with the mini disc because you know, and, unlike, unlike the CD player, which jolted every time you moved around, it, it could go with you. It, um, however, yeah, it could it, it could struggle to hold anything other than a long playing album. So, um, yeah, yeah. but however, it can control. So this this mini disc holds the uh, the key to it holds the um the data that you've recorded. So whether you're say robbing a, a bank, which is actually where the um, or robbing a restaurant, which is where the, the first scene opens up, is that a person's a POV of someone robbing a restaurant and all going wrong and he dies, and then. Um, the, the the screen goes black and Ray Fiennes whips the the squid off his head, going, "Oh, you give me a snuff movie." Um, and the point the point is, is that it's a it's a point of view, isn't it? So it's every, actually this is, you this see is, what you, you see what the person sees. Yeah, that's very important. Is that it's yeah. a point of view because that's used a lot in the film. You see, you see, yeah, your your eyes become his eyes. You've got to close your eyes and you see what they're seeing. Um, so this is uh, is a black market device. It, I think it was developed officially, but it's gone underground. And basically, Ray Fiennes is the dealer in the kind of the, the, the software, the, the hardware that goes in this. So he basically hires or obtains people's experiences. And it seems to be mostly sex, which is actually what the what initial technology always seems to go to. Um, he basically, does, it? Yes. It's like, we got any technology? Let's do it for sex. Um, yeah. If you think about it, this could be used for multiple things. It could be a teaching device, you know, allow a surgery to operate with yes, yeah, it. Uh, yeah. A combat thing. It could, allow, and it, it could be good therapy, but no, it's used for sex. So basically, people wear the squid on their head while they're having sex. It sees through their eyes and then you get a copy and Ray finds pimps it out to other people as their experiences. So that's the... That's that's what, like, in, in fairness, if it can be used for sex it should be used for sex <laughs> <laughs> i think that's true of anything really <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> let's let's close off that ramp yeah. so uh this is this is lenny nero and he's um he's a bit of a i guess he's, he's portrayed as a kind of a high class pimp but he's a bit of a grifter he's quite seedy he's got he's a weedle cool. he's a weedle isn't yeah, he I, just, I think yeah He's got greasy hair and his suits are a bit unkempt, but he's, he's portrayed like a high-end dealer in this. So that's that's where he's basically. Um, and well, he's a high-end dealer in squid playback, which yeah. is incredibly seedy. Yes. <laughs> in the, so in, he's dealing, I think, in LA. And as he drives around doing his deals, the background to this is LA is fermentous because um, uh, several reasons. One, it's the millennium's coming up; everyone's going a bit crazy. Another thing is a, a popular rapper um, named Jericho One has recently been found dead, shot dead. Um, and he wasn't just a rapper; he was quite an outspoken civil rights yeah. Um, yeah. civil rights political rapper um, yeah. about uh, police. Uh, corruption and, and societal brutality kind of and, yeah. and racial inequality and, and so, like that. so that's also simmering and and basically um i mean it, it, it goes off pretty quickly because as he drives around they're like things it's like two days before the millennium things are already on fire like army is walking around the streets keeping order. people are looting yeah it's, it's already santa claus off. is being is being mugged yes santa claus <laughs> is being mugged well he is like a week after christmas so what is santa claus <laughs> doing anyway <laughs> he may not be the real Santa, um, uh, yeah. but so uh, where where to begin? So uh, so Lenny is is going around basically doing these deals, um, and oh yes, and then we we, we cut to um, a woman in some distress uh, and basically dressed as a hooker and and with kind of bleeding knees and feet, running for her life from two policemen who are chasing her well, down to a subway. Yeah. I think she and, is she is a prostitute. Um, she is. She's, she's I, I didn't like to, I didn't like to assume that she was. <laughs> yeah. She was certainly dressed for the party. <laughs> she, she's a prostitute. Her name's Iris, uh, and uh, she's a um, 
she's she's a, a, an acquaintance of Lenny um, and a, a friend of Lenny's ex-girlfriend Faith Justin who we will we will obviously come on to as well but she's being chased by LAPD officers yeah. Burton Steckler and Dwayne Engelman <laughs> played by Vincent D'Onofrio and William is it William Fitchner? Fitchner yeah Fitchner yeah, yeah. Um, but either way so, we should, these are the two villains the cast list on this is really impressive it goes deep doesn't yeah. it yeah Glenn Plummer is Jericho one. Um, yeah. And we'll come to the, the other ones. But it's, it's, it's a deep cast. But um, so she escapes by the skin of her teeth, but in by the skin of uh, actually her wig, because they rip the wig off, they find uh-huh. out she was wearing a squid. And therefore they know that whatever they are chasing for has been recorded. So she is trying to get in touch with Lenny. Lenny, meanwhile, is going off to um, to, to get find his next customer. And actually, when that's when he explains most of how the squid works to this, this basically mm. this guy who's going to buy his wares. Um, quite a nice scene because it, it sets it up quite nicely. And you, you then get the experience of this particular playback virgin yes. um, who's not experienced it before having a, a playback for the first time. And it's uh, you're wondering what he's watching, to be honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. He's, he's, you know, overcome with emotion. Yeah. Actually, speaking of being overcome with emotion, we've also cut to uh, Lenny. We see Lenny in his flat before he goes out to work. Um, yeah. And he, he has his own squid device. So he's reliving uh, a past flashback um, whereby he um, he's with his girlfriend, Faith, uh, played by Juliette Lewis, um, where they basically um, have a jolly time skating around the, in the sunshine and go back and have sex. And you basically yeah. cut between his him seeing that and then real life Lenny kind of sitting in his couch moaning a lot. And, it, you know, the, the, the juxtaposition of the sun-drenched Venice Beach setting um, followed by the... Um, the uh, uh, well, Seedy the Lenny flat. <laughs> yeah, covered by the seedy Lenny flat. It's, it's, it's quite fun. I, I'm just thinking, him looking over those scenes of um, uh, lovemaking with his ex-girlfriend, that's not healthy. He needs to nurture his mental health, I think. Yes, I think that's that's made abundantly clear in the film too. It's it's it's, yeah. the, uh, it's the squid equivalent of going through your Facebook profile. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so as as he's making this deal with uh, with his this customer, um, his his buddy uh, Max turns up, played by Tom Sizemore, in what we in. <laughs> A glorious shock of hair, which, as you oh, know, yeah. Tom Sizemore usually has quite close-cropped hair. He's wearing this entire rocker wig that's kind of poofy blonde business, um, which was, I guess, a, a, a costume decision. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of Bill Bailey circa 2000. Yeah. And and again, so these two very old friends sit down and have the most natural conversation in the world where he sits down and goes, hey, my old buddy who got kicked off the vice squad. Oh, yeah, you're a cop yeah. who got shot in the head and can't live off his pension. Cheers. <laughs> There's a bit of a Basil exposition character there, isn't there? Yeah, but it, it was in, a, in, a, in the, the dialogue landed quite heavily in that scene. But as we find out, so Lenny used to be a vice a cop and probably explains how he knows all these contacts and all this kind of stuff. Max is a private detective um, who, again, used to be a cop. Um, and uh, as they have a beer and, and watch the news, which is showing, you know, um, Jericho one's is, is uh, death is, is fermenting hostility. Uh, Lenny's car. Um, um, oh, Iris turns up and yeah, with this, right. this late with this the laser disc or mini disc, which he posts through the, the sunroof of Lenny's car. But then it bounces mm. off the seat and falls underneath the seats. So we can't be seen. And then Lenny's car. Get, oh, then Iris, I think, talks to Lenny saying, I'm in real trouble, Lenny. You got to help me. Uh, Sees the police officers, runs off. Yes, um, yeah. and then his car gets towed away. 
Yes, so uh, Lester Lenny is now without car, whereupon he calls upon his friend uh, Lonette Mace, Mason, uh, played by Angela Bassett, who is, I guess, a high-quality limousine driver. Um, so he calls upon her as a, just a friend to give him a lift around the places he needs to go tonight because he's got a lot of deals to set up. Um, I don't know what um, training Angela Bassett went through in uh, to, to, to Comprehensive, I would say. She, she looks incredible. <laughs> she's like zero body fat yeah yeah um and again the, the, the she's not just wearing the regular you know um kind of black tie black tie and oh, no, thing. No, it's, no, it's no, a, no. quite a designer black suit as well she's, <laughs> yeah she's quite she's quite the statement yeah to the to the point when i i couldn't quite get a handle on what she was doing there she kind of just turns yeah. up and next yeah. minute she's driving around a limousine and i'm thinking what yeah. how well, i thought is she, is she government agent that was what I thought. She should be, but no, she's just a kind of down, down on the heels luxury limousine driver who takes Japanese businessmen to various clubs. Yeah, as 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 she does, and immediately she does. Um, Lenny tries to sell a Japanese businessman his his squid, whereupon Mace just yells at him, uh, and again once delivers an exposition about how she has a kid and she has rent to pay and she has a husband in long term jail, and she's very cross with Lenny as one of her oldest friends. So again, exposition cool. is neatly delivered. Um. And I think Lenny's basically, you know, gives a puppy dog eyes and says, "Please help me, Mace." And so she does. So they uh, they drive off to uh, a, a nightclub. There's a lot of nightclubs in this movie, so I'm not sure if it's the same nightclub each time, but they it's go the from same club. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they keep returning. The, 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 what was it called? The retinal. Oh, I can't remember. It has a, it has a, I thought I thought initially it said the rectal device or something. I was like, oh, God, that sounds awful. But I think it's the retinal device or something. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so we we meet the red, where where Iris is performing as um actually oh, no, faith, no, no, sorry, faith, 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 yeah. faith is performing faith uh, played by Juliet Lewis who is performing in her own voice as well she's a singer too um she's uh, singing a Peach Harvey song um singing it live so very good she? I would yeah. say Juliet Juliet Lewis uh, throughout this film must have been very cold because Faith <laughs> doesn't get to wear much ever <laughs> well it is Los Angeles it is, it's, it's, it's also in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah, and it's New Year's Eve. Yeah, everyone else gets to wear a t-shirt. Yeah, um, She's either naked or wearing what looks like chainmail. Yes, and not much chainmail. It's not like you, no. you, you wouldn't. Oh, no, you no, no. So. <laughs> it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. No, but it'd be luckier if you hit the chainmail. But Faith's uh, boyfriend slash music manager is a uh, um, is a uh, Philo Philo Gant, played by Michael Wincott, um, who who did yeah, a good line in the yeah, the, the crow in the, in the in the early to mid nineties. I think Michael Wincott was a, a go to villain, right? He and also, I, he was, yeah, he was. Yeah, ironically, also after he had a really good um, career in um, creating kind of project management tools as well. Did he? Silo <laughs> Gant. See, it's Gant sharp. He, oh. he used it. Well, you've ruined it. That, I thought it was like you know the uh, the guy the mother from the monkeys vet Tipex. No, that was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What I did, there, I confused the character's name with the actor. You did. So Michael, also, so Michael Winker is kind of this loose music producer um, who is, I think, attempting an English accent. Um, ex- he's English. Is he? he? I think he is. Oh. He's attempting an English accent. Well, in that case, okay. <laughs> he keeps lapsing it. No, he's Canadian, apparently, according to the... the That's the same. <laughs> well, because no, he's he he keeps doing English, but he keeps lapsing back into American. Um, so he sounds a bit like when John Hurt tries to do an American voice. But I wondered if that again, because he did a very good English accent, or at least a decent one in Robin Hood when he was uh, the guy of Gis- uh, yeah. 
So That's I wonder, right. did, did it was it a deliberate choice to make him like an affectation that Milo Gant yeah. wants to sound English, to sound posho or more louche, uh, like a David Barry character? Anyway, so uh, Philo is, we can assume, a wrong one because Lenny hates him. Um, mm-hmm. And he's basically, but he was also the manager of Jericho One. You see, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. It's all um, connected. Um, and so, uh, basically, so uh, Faith does her set and she has a heart to heart with Lenny um, where she basically says, it's over, it's over, and yells at him very loudly. Um and so Lenny uh, heads off tail between his legs. I think at uh, which point now is um, he's been given he's been given a, um, uh, a, a like a, a, a an envelope. Yes, a hidden um, envelope. A hidden envelope, and in it is another of the Squid playback tapes. Yes. Um, uh, so yeah, th- th- this is th- this is he doesn't know who it's from or what it is. But that's so now, um, now, yeah. So as he's been driven home by by Mace, he he pops this in. It was interesting. He puts it on and is kind of commenting to himself what it is. And she goes, "What are you doing back there?" And I'm thinking the squid is not a subtle device. It's not like you know fubbing on your phone when no one can see. No, it's like, you yeah. have to actually. Well, you know, it's connected to your cerebral cortex, you. Yeah. Well, you I mean, whatever you're watching, whatever you're watching is going to be pretty pretty brutal. Yeah. So he's so he's watching and he thinks um, it's it's someone breaking entering a hotel. And he thinks, "Oh, this is a breaking entering video." But no, this this this. Uh, uh, intruder it's darker than yeah. it's darker than, it's, it's great it gets actually quite dark and graphic for, for what you'd assume was a, a kind of an action movie so this this guy is in a hotel room he jumps across the balcony to the next room finds his victim which turns out to be iris uh whereupon he handcuffs her or tases her handcuffs her uh, ravages her whilst uh, and as he's doing that he puts a squid on her head so mm-hmm. she's seeing him seeing her seeing him seeing him so she, basically she's terrified right before he kills her so um, she's she's seeing her own death Yes, which apparently um, uh, also heightens the the excitement for yeah. this serial killer who's doing it. Um, I like the fact that you described that she was ravaged, because <laughs> that sounds quite nice. <laughs> no, no, this is no. no she ravaged. was not enjoying the experience. No. no. Um, no. So yeah, so poor old Iris is now dead, um, and and Lenny has now been given her kind of his his jolt. Um, oh my goodness, there's a plot here that needs to be solved. Mm. So uh, he can gathers his crew, uh, Max and Mace, together as they work out what's going on here. Um, so we must be about 45 minutes into the film. I was about to mention we're 45, <laughs> 50 minutes into the plot before yeah. we realise the, the protagonist realises there's something he's got to do about it. Yeah. Uh, whereupon uh, they they take they take the tape to uh, to Lenny's kind of contact who does all the technical stuff called Tick, uh, played very squirmily by Richard Edson. Um, yeah, I recognise him, but I'm not sure where I've seen him from before. Yeah, he's he's got a very distinctive face. Let's have a yeah, he let's does, yeah. what, what he might have. I mean, he's got a. Uh, yeah, he was in Platoon. I can recognise him from Platoon. It was in Good Morning Vietnam. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's... Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah he was Bruno yeah. Kirby's uh, number two guy in Good Morning Vietnam. Is he? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he's he's got that kind of look. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's a fine, squirmy performance. So they, they find out... Um, not much about this guy, actually. But then in the process of asking him, they remembered, hey, didn't Iris say she left something in your car? But my car's impounded. So off they go to, to retrieve the car. Um, this is... Uh, Lenny and Mace, and in the process of, of, of retrieving the disc, uh, do they? They don't look at it then and there, but they. Um, no, they don't. They don't they look are... at it then and there. He puts it. He puts it into his suitcase of other um, squid playbacks. Um, when where, whereupon the um, the two uh, police officers who are chasing Iris appear steckler and engelman steckler and engelman um who if things had worked out better at the end could have had their own kind of little offshoot film i think that would be quite good <laughs> the adventures of steckler and engelman um yeah so they turn up and, and obviously 
the, the principle is, is that whatever is on this particular mini disc, whatever is on this playback tape, is what they have been looking for. So um, uh, Nero, Lenny Nero, uh, hands over what what they think is the tape. It's actually not the tape. It's another tape. Um, but they hand over the tape and then uh, say, "All right, well, we'll be off then." Um, yeah. But uh, um, unfortunately for, for for Lenny and for Mace, uh, Stecker and Engelman have other other ideas. So there's a, a car chase follows uh, by uh, poor, poor Mace's limousine is machine gunned and then set on fire, um, which to escape, she drives it into the river, uh, which does put out the fire and allows them to, to swim out to safety. Yeah. And, and also the, the, the policemen at that point then just go. Yeah, they, 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 they assume that that's that. <laughs> they, they just, that desperate, I would have, I'd have hung around for a bit. Just wait for the bubbles to stop. But they they, they yeah, managed to swim underneath the, uh, the the pier and waited for Segment to bugger off. Um, I suppose they think they've got the tapes all sorted. However, all is not sorted. for They have the, the original tape, so they take it back to uh, Mace's home and watch it. And what they actually see was Iris's last last or last memory, which was when she was uh, rented out to Jericho One and his friend. Um, and they're all in a car together, whereupon uh, they're pulled over by the police, the police being Steckler and Engelman. And uh, Jericho One is essentially executed. Uh, yeah, whether they is, plan yeah. to do it or whether they just got they they realised who he was and decided to take uh, advantage of it, they just kill him and then they kill. I think, I think they take, I think they realise who he is because during during the during the the playback he is he's espousing police brutality, saying you know I am this person I you know and um, yeah it's I'm I'm a, a rich black man in a in a in a fancy car um, you know I rap about this I rap about that exactly he's basically just not showing off but the world is going to hear about this being stopped for yeah. no reason. And that so they, they obviously realise and then they, they shoot him. They shoot him, they shoot uh, his friend, they shoot the other girl who's with it, and Iris flees, uh, which is where we came into the beginning when she's jumping into the train. So that's Iris's. Iris has basically recorded the evidence of uh, Jericho One's execution or murder from um, these two policemen. So that's that's the, the plot. Uh, which, so that, of course, so Len- Lenny and Mace have an incendiary playback on their hands. Yes, in a febrile situation uh, yeah. in the city as well, um, which right. they, they realise they have to do something about that. And... Now tell me why this means they have to go to the club because Millennials now keen to go back to the club. To get, I think yeah, this is it. Um, it. Is that they they bring Max in and Max says you can't take this to the police. I've heard stories about a special death squad of you know it goes all the way to the top of City Hall. These people. Um, so what can you do? And I think their plan is um, he he somehow thinks it's a good idea to go get uh, Faith again. I think he thinks Faith is in danger because uh, yeah. Well. Um... Partly, so they, they go back to see Tick first of all to see if they can um, see if they can work out the kind of provenance of the playback. But Tick has been has been murdered. Oh no, um, he's, yeah, he's been brain fried. That's it. He's, he's been tick. brain fried. He's been brain fried with with uh, uh, an, uh, one of these squids, which has amped up the the cerebral cortex. So he's basically a, a lobotomized. Yeah. That's when that's when um, Max turns up and says. You know what? You've got you've got death squads of policemen roaming the streets. Um, you'd be better off keeping this quiet, etc. They then go to the club because Lenny fears that um, Iris's attackers covered his tracks by killing Tick, and will then go after Faith because Faith knew Lenny uh, knew Iris, and also is managed by Philo Gant, who also managed Jericho One. Yeah. I think that's murdered. a bit of a reach on Lenny's part, but Lenny does keep finding excuses to come back to Faith. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think that's probably the issue. Yeah. I mean, part of the other issue as, as well is that at this point in time, Philo Philo Gant wants um, kind of wants it. He, he's keen to dispose of 
the um, the evidence because, and I'm stretching here, because he are uh, he gets Max to um, follow all of his artists, so he has them under surveillance, and he's worried that if that comes out then it will damage his reputation as a music mogul and the artistic freedom that he gives all of his um Although we don't artists. know this yet. No. <laughs> but yeah, either way, so, so, yeah, so, so yeah. Lenny, Lenny pops up at uh, Faith's home and, um, you know, says, oh, I've got some money. I've got another reason to yes. see you. Yeah, Iris right. is it's dead. Before, isn't this is all before that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so he so says Iris is dead. Pops up. Yeah. yeah. And we have that kind of, you've got one more chance to come away with me, Faith. And she says, no. Um, so uh, he goes away again and not before um, Philo has set his three goons on to, to beat Lenny up, which they do quite efficiently until Mace appears and basically dispatches all three of them with the kind of combat skills you would not expect from a limousine driver but angela bassett does pull it off quite marvelously she does yeah she really really does um i was obviously uh, yeah, her, her style again as well as wearing this very stylish black suit um it's, her hair is in dreadlocks so she kind of flies around the room there's lots of slow motions of her hair just whipping around i was quite pumped <laughs> um so yeah it's a fact actually in a in a in a, in a movie full of a lot of, again, um, of action people. And um, she does stand out as being the best one of the lot. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah. But so so having defeated the goons, uh, they now decide um, uh, they've got to come back for, for Faith again because she's been um, dragged away, I think, again, by into the hands of Philo. But I think Faith is once again seized by uh, Philo's men. And this leaves Lenny and Mace the decision of what we're going to do with this tape. Um, yeah. which Len- Lenny is quite keen to trade it to get Faith back and Mace is saying this I think this is a she describes it as a lightning bolt from God um, yeah. but uh, so therefore you can't it's more important than any one of them they've got to give it to the police yeah. to, 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 to all the public they've got to expose this this this, this crime she has a point right she has a very point, much so yes she, she has a point and she also says she, uh, it, there, there are various points throughout the, the plot as well where you start to get an inclination that um, Mace hangs around with Lenny um, because she feels more for him than perhaps he feels for her. So there's a point where you know she says, you know, I, I, I have a, I have a, I, I care about you a lot, Lenny, a lot more than you will ever know. Yeah. But if you give this to Philo, uh, that's the end of us. That's yeah. the end of our friendship. Well, also it's made explicit when uh, when uh, Lenny's trying to explain why he keeps going back to Faith all the time and just goes, have you ever loved someone I didn't love you back? And she goes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Lenny um, doesn't see it. No, although we are, treated, we are treated to a fractional flashback. And I think the reason it's yeah. fractional is because it's not virus squid. It's an actual flashback yeah. whereby we learn um, Mace came home one day from work um, to find some kind of crime scene in her own house with her little boy, was there as well her husband is being led off to clearly his yeah. service long-term prison thing and she screams at him you did this in our own house with our boy in it and she comes to find um, her little kid um with a much cleaner and more respectable lenny in a policeman's outfit being really nice to the boy reading him the velveteen rabbit and essentially taking care of him and you can see from yeah. that's that's your clue that from that germinated the friendship and i guess the yeah. the, the the favor she feels she owes him for, for that kindness yeah exactly exactly but it's quick i will say that for in, in a film that has lots of long lingering squid experiences that one that one flashback is dealt with very very quickly it's like bump there yeah. that's, that's where they're friends the, keep going that that very quick flashback sequence is working hard Yes. Um, isn't it because a, a lot a, you know years of friendship is based on what is effectively about a 20 second scene yeah. and, and given that that is the fulcrum upon which these two main characters <laughs> rest yeah. 
<laughs> but so either way, so the, the new plan is um, to go to see Philo without the disc because they having having got dressed up, they all get dressed up for the uh, for the, to go to the new year's eve party this is new year's eve now it's all happening um they they get sorted out and, and once again um mace is no longer in her limousine thing she's in a very nice cocktail dress with a, a kind of a with a thigh holster for her gun so once again she's a little bit more than just your average limousine driver um, well it's also there's a there's an odd scene an, an odd kind of um to, to and back with the uh, mace and lenny at this point where they there's this, you know, the party of the century, the party of the millennium is happening in one yeah. of these hotels. Yeah. And um, Mace says to Lenny, well, I mean, how are you going to sneak in there? And Lenny says, it's just what I do. And then the next scene is that they're in the, they're in the yeah. party. <laughs> we don't actually find out how they got in. They just got in. Yeah, I think well, I think the subject is the plot requires him to. Are <laughs> you going to get in yeah. there? Because I need to. Um, <laughs> and and again, out, so this is this is the party of the century again. This is the most high fluting nightclub. But outside is a riot going on because if they pull up in their car and the windscreen is smashed in the, <laughs> before their eyes, and they go right then, should we go to the party? And they just hop yeah. out and go to the party. So, I'll tell so you what, if I had to choose which party to go to, it would be out on the street because that looked like fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so having but also having decided on their plan and got dressed up they now reformat the plan in the party when um when uh, lenny decides no this disc is more important than everyone he gives it to mace to give to a police commissioner who happens to be at the same party luckily saying give this to the commissioner he's he's the only cop i know who won't be corrupt uh, because he busted me um so he so he'll he'll get it public and i'm gonna deal with with um philo myself so uh this is where the plot diverges quite broadly. So we'll take one path first. Okay. Um, let's say that uh, Lenny goes up to, to confront Philo, but he finds another disc is waiting for him. He pops it on and he's finding basically repetition of the same snuff um, rape uh, memory that poor Iris got afflicted to. Instead, now it's Faith. Um, she turns and sees an attacker. He ties her. He again, ravishes her. Um, and, but, uh, and, and poor Lenny is losing his mind. Yeah. Um, and except, that. except that it wasn't it wasn't an assault it was just kinky sex for between faith and dun 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 her lover max it was uh, yeah. lenny's best least, friend least convincing lovers <laughs> in cinema history indeed uh, and so... you find you find because max turns to the the mirror yes. uh, next to the bed and see them uh, together and of course slumped down um at the, the base of the mirror as as lenny is trying to fumble his way through the hotel rooms i'd just take the squid off and just um, run he, he, he sees a body under a cover and he thinks it's faith, faith. yeah but whipping it off it's, it turns out it, it's philo who's had his brain fried um, because as the memory continues philo burst in and found faith and max in each other's arms and whereupon uh, max slams him against the wall and and brain fries him so uh so now that Lenny is in the same place as, uh, as Philo, Max, <laughs> um, once again in, in with the, uh, the 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 um, the deft hand for um, exposition this movie has goes. I'm going to tell you my plan because it's just so perfect. I want to tell you my plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he began, he starts monologuing, saying the whole thing kicked off with um, Philo hired Iris to monitor Jericho One. Iris witnessed the execution came back to Philo with the evidence and Philo got nervous or afraid thinking if word got out he was spying on his clients he'd never work again also this this tape is um, is explosive so he gets Max to kill Iris and also for good measure Faith who's a friend of Iris and again has heard the conversation um, Max is now in a relationship with Faith so he won't do that but he does kill Iris um, 
he is and he i think he was as crazy as they, they assumed to be he, he does he does you know like the squid experience of, of all this kind of monsters. Well, it's kind tom of sizemore isn't it it's tom sizemore he's clearly a nut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so he so he did kill iris but he he wanted to frame lenny for this so he left him all these discs to to, to be that trail um whereupon he shoots philo who's already brain fight is now dead and saying he's going to frame lenny for it faith I don't think was in on this caper because she seems a little bit confused when he's explaining all this. And as Max is about to kill Lenny, she knocks the gun sideways and then Max and Lenny start to tussle. Um, mm. uh, whereupon Ma- Tom Sizemore's ridiculous wig is ripped off to reveal that it was indeed a ridiculous wig because, you know, yeah. because Max is actually close. To Max is, is, is bald, but he's got a, he's got a squid beneath his wig. So he's constantly he's constantly wired in, I think, is the implication. He's a tape head. He's a tape head. He's, a, he's constantly jacked. Um, <laughs> And then they, they, they have a big old tussle um, whereupon, um, again, Lenny's stabbed in, in the shoulder blades with the, with, with the killer's knife. And then they, they drags him to the, um, the balcony. And by dint of twisting a little bit, he manages instead to throw Max off the balcony. Yes. That's, uh, that's literally how he manages. He's, just, um, he just, he's getting shoved over and he just he angles himself. Yeah, and yeah. And over like Max little, goes instead. Yeah. It's, just it's like he's having a slight fit. Yeah. <laughs> and so now Max is, is is about to fall, but he's clinging on to Lenny's trademark ties, um, which but the Lenny uh, t- rips the knife from his back and cuts the tie. So uh, Max does a Hans Gruber all the way down to the bottom. Yeah. And um, you see him smash it into the car. You do. Um, and this is an interesting point is that uh, Tick. Uh, earlier on when he was monitoring the the first snuff tape was saying oh this killer is colorblind um and max reveals this right after we learn he's the killer so therefore it's a completely redundant clue oh, right, okay. <laughs> he goes i never knew you were colorblind <laughs> oh yeah i was it's like yeah. <laughs> case closed <Yeah>. <laughs> um, while this is happening um at the, at the same time yeah. it's almost like a a, 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 um, a simultaneous coda it's like a a Lord of the Rings style ending so having defeated the villain um, at at the same time and possibly more important um, Mace has got to see the commissioner it's more important the the, the boyfriend girlfriend tussle and also actually uh, before he dies Max revealed that there was no police death squad um, there was no great conspiracy it was just Steckler and Engelman killing Jericho 1 there was no so it wasn't didn't go all the way to City Hall it ended with two violent policemen who were trying to cover their tracks and that's yeah. that's but, began but, it, but it's still important that those violent policemen set set the city on fire almost with their actions yes um so meanwhile um mace has gone to see this commissioner um <clears throat> who um looks a bit bemused to be you know customer was saying put this illegal device on your head and I mean, then he's in the toilet he's in the he toilet. Goes into the toilet this this very athletic black woman comes in and shoves a tape in his face and say look at this yeah. watch this watch this now i know um, at which point uh, a, a police a, a uniform policeman basically steps up to escort her out and having held the tape which she describes as lightning bolt from god she just leaves it then and goes okay i'm leaving then yes. <laughs> so uh, she basically goes i knew it i knew you were corrupt or whatever and and assuming abandons it so she has no real motivation to leave that other than okay i'm off now i think at that point she's then accosted by them philo's three thugs game which she handily defeats and then steckler and engelman turn up and start to chase her for what was a very long time because they start chasing her before the whole scene before lenny and max and when that's over they're still chasing her well i'm crash. presuming they're happening at the same time yes but they're not yet yeah, they're not being cross-cut but either way yeah. they then decide to open fire so 
at least three or four party goers are gunned down um, to no, no, no discernible reaction to the crowd. Yeah. Um, at which point they catch her. And is, she deals with them both single-handed? She does, doesn't she? She manages to beat That's them great. both up. And it's quite, it's, them it's quite nice because she does show a little bit of um, uh, vulnerability. It's not easy. She, she doesn't find this easy, but she does it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember how she managed to overcome them, but it's certainly... she overcomes it. She sits on she sits on the Vincent D'Onofrio one. I can't remember who it is. I think it's Steckler, yeah. um, and handcuffs him to Engelman, and then and then handcuffs Engelman to the yeah. um, the, the stage yeah. the stage design from which Skunk and Nancy are performing. That's true. How does she get into that position though? She just kick them a bit, I suppose. Yeah, probably. Yeah, some some kicking goes on, but yeah, she's she's very good at. It. However. Um, the riot police then turn up, and of course, Stackler Engelman, as uniformed policeman, are yelling at them to get to get Mace. Uh, whereupon, uh, to a pulp almost. We should we should say she is dressed in just a, sort of a cocktail dress, so there was no kind of protection against kind of her bare, bare arms and legs, yeah. as they have her on the ground whacking her with their batons and everything. So I, I will say, not a great visual um, <laughs> for, for for any times. Um, no. At which point um, it's ended when a, a young child who's in the crowd leaps on the back of one of the white, poli- um, white police and tells you, let her go. And then the crowd fall on her. Um, and it's not done in a kind of, they just stand between Mace and her assailants. They go at them. They literally pound yeah, the, the, the white yeah. police, yeah. holding up their bloodied helmets as trophies by the end. So it's all yeah. kicked off. Um, however, then the riot dies down very calmly when more police show up with the commissioner who just says, everyone, calm down. And they do. Yeah. Um, and and basically Steckler and Engel were saying it's all her fault, it's all her fault, and he has clearly warned the squid because he wasn't a bad guy after all. He turns up to save the day and says, "You two are going arrest, to jail. Yeah, arrest yeah. these policemen. Yeah, oh, they might, this, this, yeah, uh, um, and then Lenny turns up, bloodied and almost falling to pieces. So it's, it's up to well, Mason. Well, there's another, there's another ending, isn't there? There's a twist. Oh, is this, yeah. is this, this, this goes on here. Yeah. So as the, she, um, Lenny's almost dying, and Mace has to cradle him in her arms, saying, "Lenny, don't die." Uh, and yeah. he kind of looks up at her face. At which point, then Engelman and Steckler both manage to free themselves, although they free themselves from the chain, but not each other. So Engelman gets a gun oh. and, and decides the best way is to shoot himself in the mouth. So he takes the easy way out. Um, but Steckler, oh, well, easy way out. <laughs> I always wondered about that phrase. That seems pretty hard. That is pretty harsh, but we don't like Engelman. Um, no. Um, however, well, Steckler, Steckler takes a much more difficult way out because he then grabs the gun and drags Engelman behind him. He's, he's, he's still handcuffed to a corpse and his, his brains are all over his face. So Vincent D'Onofrio is in his element here. He's, he's, he's utterly bloody, completely <laughs> mad-eyed, holding a gun and charging towards this both Mace Vince, and Lenny. This and is I what think... Vincent D'Onofrio went to acting school for. <laughs> <laughs> he's in his happy place um yeah and and again not quite i think he's there what only saves him is he doesn't quite know who to kill first because he doesn't know who he hates more um and in that moment of hesitation he gets gunned down by all the good police um and having done that uh lenny and mace kiss each other and then the, and the confetti comes down the, yeah they kiss each other and the confetti comes down that's it isn't it yeah, um, but I, I say the police do take quite a long time to shoot steckler because he's walking toward them for quite a while with the yeah. gun stretched before they decide to fire on him but anyway he is done the the the, the, I think, the ending... I think it's not it's, it's, it's not 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 a harsh thing to say that the police don't come out well from this film <laughs> no they don't they don't but uh, um you know it, yeah uh, lenny appears lenny looks like lenny's off in the ambulance and mace goes off but then lenny comes back out the ambulance tells mace can you can you get out of the car they they embrace and kiss and it's it's happy ever after he's let off in handcuffs so she's done for yeah absolutely and and etc and that's it so all that that's that's the end of the movie and that is the synopsis which it was long but it was a two hour 20 minute movie so we didn't do too badly no and i I think that 
that that was a very well described synopsis, Hugh. Well done. I think it's fair to say that um, that there, there's a lot of detail in in the plot. I don't think there is a lot of plot though. No, no, I'd, I'd agree that with that. Sense. There was there was a point when I got lost <laughs> into why he was doing things, but I think that's because there wasn't actual reason why he was doing things, which makes it harder to yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But, but this, there we are. This is for the for the analysis. Um, so join us after the jingle when we will be looking at the the themes and analysis of the film, and also James will tell us why he picked the strange days. Indeed. Welcome back, dear listener. I hope you've managed to uh, brush away the confetti and uh, and what will the the 2000s lie in wait for us. I hope nothing devastating and worldwide. <laughs> so let's begin with Strange Days. James, why did you choose Strange Days? Um, yeah, okay, thanks, you. Interesting um, to, to um, th- think about, about Strange Days. So there's um, some films there we have quite you know close connections to and we have a nostalgic kind of viewing it um and others other films we don't necessarily have that kind of strong connection strange days is a film where i have to admit not to having a huge amount of kind of personal connection to the only thing that um made me remember strange days was um back back in the day back in back in the 90s um you know i might go into our price or tower records for example and browse um the 18 certificate videos that have been released <laughs> films that I think might scare the hell out of me or, um, you know, be, be something illicit that I shouldn't be watching, but might secretly want to watch. And, um, for some reason, I remember strange days. Um, the cover of the VHS, uh, was, uh, Ray Fine's face just poking out from the actual, the, the, the VHS cover. And it kind of stuck with me a little bit. Um, and I remember at the time, um, seeing the trailer for it and thinking, well, that looks like a really interesting film or a different film that might be worth, you know, might be might be something that I'd I'd I'd, I'd find entertaining. And then it absolutely bombed. <laughs> it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> bombed at the box office. So its budget was, um, and and uh, you know, it's we're not talking long kiss goodnight budget, but we're talking you know a hefty forty two million dollars, and it only took eight million. It basically made something like thirty six thousand dollars in its opening weekend. Um, it's one of the biggest box office bombs of the nineties, um, if not the twentieth century. Yeah, it really is. It's a huge one. It derailed Catherine Bigelow's career for about five years. I was thinking um, she was coming off Point Break from this, wasn't she? She's coming off she Point Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it it it. This this was a career-ending film for a potentially career-ending film for Catherine Bigelow, um, and something that um, at the time um, I thought looked quite interesting, but I think is ripe for a weekend at Cobbs. Now, subsequently, it has garnered quite a strong cult following, and has actually very strong reviews, and, and is, is is considered very um, quite highly. I mean, we're not talking. You know the Matrix style science fiction type, but it's 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 considered um, uh, a, a, a a strong kind of addition to the mid nineties sci fi canon. Yeah, I was the other surprised thing I, by the positive reviews that were contemporary to it. If it bombed so yeah, badly, well, because yeah, so, so much more now actually than at the time, um, which which I do find interesting. And um, one of the other things that I, I thought. I want you to point out as well was that despite it despite it being a commercial flop it wasn't a critical flop at the time although it was more mixed but it certainly wasn't a completely critical flop Roger Ebert famous um uh re- reviewer gave it his thumbs up 
fantastic film and it's it's one of his fantastic films basically which is you know uh, 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 there aren't many of them yeah. so that's that's interesting and also Catherine Bigelow won was the first female director to win the um best director at the 1995 Saturn Awards which is like science fiction and horror equivalent of the Oscars yeah. so uh, it despite despite its absolute falling off a cliff in terms of box office i think it was probably mispackaged mismarketed something wasn't quite right it certainly didn't do what it was expected to do yeah. um and i thought as a result of that not knowing literally anything about it let's have it a weekend at crombies but it's not something that i have any strong connection to okay would you like to kick off then in terms of your take on it then um so, just having to assume that I apologise. Where to start? So, I'm gonna the thing that I'm the thing that I'm kind of keen to discuss a little bit. I mean, I have no idea what you'll think of this film. Um, this is one of those films where I think you you might give this a one star. Um, you you might give this quite a high rating. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and, and for me, there are some parallels with the long kiss good night in this as well, which which I think is similar um, in, in the way that it's kind of constructed. But I'll 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 start with a, a few things about the kind of visual style of the film that that that, that I found um, uh, quite engaging or what I wanted to talk about. So there's um, there's something about the aesthetic of the film which um, is quite idiosyncratic and quite distinct. I think. I mean, other than the fact that it is quite a '90s looking film, I suppose. There, you know, it. it the action sequences in in the film are quite nineties looking, but um, it what it does quite effectively, I think, is establish a near future rendition of a major American city. In this instance, it's Los Angeles, where the science fiction element of it isn't so far removed from our own world. Um, but still, nevertheless, is slightly ridiculous. And I, I find that quite fun. And by that, I mean. Um, when you look at the technology that is described in Strange Days, the squid technology, the cerebral cortex onto a mini disc, it, it there's a naivety to it because it's proper analog. Well, maybe not analog, but it's proper kind of pre pre wired um, analog systems. You, you know, it, it, and you think, well, if someone was trying to develop and build an uh, an image or a vision of what the world might look like. Um, in the near future, I think it's gone down a different path, right? It's yes. gone down a completely different path to what the filmmakers thought the path would be. Um, so there is that element of it. Uh, having said I, that, I did, though, I did think it was um, it, it's it's hard to to you know harshly judge a filmmaker for not being able to predict the, the aesthetics of the future because if they did, they'd be in computer design or whatever. Um, but I, I do remember that actually there's a, a Red Dwarf episode where they they have um, kind of a virtual reality thing they put in their cortexes. And the things that the team put together for that are not 100 miles away from the squid technology. You know, that, I mean, yeah, you're right. And um, there, there is there is something there is something a little bit kind of twee about the technology that they, they've used there. Um but, but nevertheless, uh, I still think that there is, I, I think in, in films like this, you can get bogged down a little bit in the limitations of the imagination of what's going on with the film and forget about the ideas that the film is trying to portray, I suppose, to a certain extent. And what what I quite liked about the, the film's aesthetic in that regard was that 
it was trying to tap into what was at the time quite a burgeoning or or um, early view on how virtual reality or point of view type technology might be produced. And you talked about the fact that um, the the squid technology seems to have been predominantly used for pornography, effectively. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's interesting. In, in having done some extensive research in advance of this particular <laughs> week in the promise, I did, did look into some of the kind of major pornography sites to, <laughs> to have, have a sense of it. And, but and, but in, in all seriousness, the point of view um, uh, analysis of, of, of the sex industry is now so well established uh, and so core to the principles of titillation and, and what I would imagine is something similar to what is trying to be experienced in strange days that the although the technology itself looks quite dated I think some of the principles of the highs the jacking the tape head type vocabulary work quite well and you see it in quite a lot of those kind of voyeuristic type entertainment sectors at the moment um you know I, I, I think that it, this this does it in a slightly different way but it's there in in that context I think that's that's part of that particular process yeah. you also see it in computer games where you have point of view beat em ups you have um, all of this kind of stuff as well so I'm not saying that this kick-started that uh you know but I think that this plays on that quite well so if you can if you can remove the technology itself the fact that it's a mini disc the yeah. fact that it looks like some suckers that you put on your forehead yeah. and think about what it's trying to to do I think that's quite clever but it's 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 sales it's usp is not the the fact it's like a body cam because they mentioned body cams are around in this time as well yeah. what they what the usp is you feel it because they they say yeah. it's not it's not tv but better you feel the emotion you're actually placed in in the, in the zone you get the adrenaline rush and that kind of stuff so it's more than just again a pov it's the fact that it's meant to replicate that how effectively it does that let me think now because a lot of it a lot of the experience apart from you know you see ray fines gasping and, and people like mm. that how much that's played into as opposed to just watching stuff i think you see it you see it in the um in the the uh playback virgin so the guy that that um, yeah yeah the guy that lenny is basically giving his basil exposition for what this particular technology is is played quite well because the guy the guy is shown to be having an experience which is different to any kind of kind of once removed point of view kind of aspect to it as well Yeah, yeah so i think i think i think the aesthetic might seem quite dated, but I don't think that's necessarily a problem for the ideas that are contained within the film. And I'll come on to some of the ideas again in the future, because this point of view approach actually has, I think, some quite quite significant connotations for us as the audience as well. I think you probably know where I'm going on with that, but <laughs> there, there, it has some quite quite important connotations for us as the audience. In terms of the aesthetic as well, what I also wanted to highlight is, is Catherine Bigelow's directed this. Actually, I should have mentioned this in the reasons why I chose the film as well, that um, Catherine Bigelow obviously is a, is a, you know, a very well-regarded director, you know, the, the first and currently only um, female um, director to win the best director at the Oscars. But it's also um, script, it's scripted by James Cameron as well. Yes. Um, and it was part of their um, a, a dual film that was released. So it was this and True Lies, which okay. was financed at the same time through their joint um, production company, uh, the name of which escapes me, but the budget was for this was much smaller than it was for True Lies, and the marketing was much smaller than it was for True Lies. But what I was going to say was that yeah, True, Lies, True Lies was huge. That's kind of, it's kind of slipped out of, out of memory now, but it was a massive film at the time. 
Well, it, it was the huge budget at, at the point of release. It was the most expensive film ever made. Yeah. I don't actually think it made much money back because of the cost of it. No, oh, it but it was so much. But, but it was one of those films where it almost didn't matter because it was an event film. And yeah. you know, whatever you think of James Cameron, and I think that some of the flaws of James Cameron you see in this film, particularly in the script work. Um, whatever you think of James Cameron, he makes event films, right? So that's what he does. He makes one film maybe every 10 to 15 years at the moment, and they are event films. Whether they're good or not, I don't know, but they're event films, certainly. They don't always make their money back, but he might have one film in 10 that makes the money back, and that film makes billions, yeah. right? So it doesn't really matter what the others do, because his business is about... Um, exploring those kind of other event type films. Anyway, the point I want to make with Catherine Bigelow is that in, in, she's very good at creating a sense of urgency and dynamism in um, an authenticity, I think is the key word I'm looking for, in large scale gatherings and I events. So for example, I think what the film does really well is portray the chaos of the LA streets, the clubs that they visit. I mean, I've seen so many films where the protagonists walk into a nightclub and it just looks like there's five people dancing on the dance floor and it's really horrible and it doesn't work. Mm. Whereas I think in this film, the nightclubs look sweaty, they look grubby, it looks like there's thousands of people crammed in yes. there. And I'm sure there wasn't, but it looks like it. The, 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 the New Year's Eve um, street party at the end, they hired 10,000 extras. I was about to say, the, yeah, the, yeah. the first thing I, I thought looking at that was, this is real. It's a practical effect. And if you like, it's it's, real, it's, yeah. it wasn't CGI'd. Yeah. There were just a lot of people here. They they had, uh, reading around this, they had something like nine hours to film the street party. Um, and in the end, they had they, 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 they stopped the filming about an hour and a half early because there was something like 50 arrests for drug, for drug use. <laughs> so it was real. What they were filming was real. They asked, they asked individuals to have a street party. They hired internationally famous bands, Skunk and Nancy being one of them, to perform. And they basically told people, we'll film this party. And I think it shows it's really good because I think that's a, it's a really effective um, kind of filmmaking and Catherine Bigelow is excellent at that so yes. she's done it in other films as well in Detroit which is a recent film that she's done she's very good at creating that kind of riot type feel um, in Zero Dark Thirty which is I think one of my favourite films actually it's a fantastic film she's very good at creating that sense of chaos in the um, in the uh the second half of the film where the, the 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 black ops go in to kind of kill Osama bin Laden spoiler alert um <laughs> so you know it, she, she creates that kind of sense and I think it's done quite well in, in strange days as well I, I think it's done very well in strange days yeah. there's that real sense of urgency and chaos in the streets which I which I like a lot okay. um, um I'll come on to some other aspects of it in a minute but there's this there's, there's there's two things that I really wanted to kind of highlight specifically the first one is the, the, the film is certificated 18 yeah. and I think not notwithstanding some fruity language and, and perhaps some 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 nudity I don't necessarily think that the film is an 18 except for one particular sequence which is what you've described as the ravishing as it were but, but <laughs> I described that because I was being delicate because that was yeah. the thing I watched and felt actually uncomfortable watching it yeah so I think all of the film's 18 certificate is housed in that five minute sequence I think it's a controversial rape murder scene it really is very very controversial and at the time of release one of the reviewers of the film said that it's the, the most sickening sequence in modern hollywood um and what i find quite 
remarkable about that scene, um, and I, 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 I use the word tentatively, I don't mean remarkable in the sense of it's titillating or anything like that, I think it's a remarkable sequence. And it, it ties into the technology that I'm going to talk about as well, the techniques of the filmmaking. But but what I what I thought was remarkable was that in, in any in any 90s action film or thriller or horror film that's that has an 18 certificate, these kind of sequences where a woman is is raped and murdered, for right or wrong, well, for wrong, let me add, but, but <laughs> right or wrong, for right or wrong in the film itself, usually what happens is it's a horrendous problematic scene which is ended with some extravagant catharsis. So it might be, for example, in a horror film, some over-the-top blood or guts so that you know you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, um, you've got your exit, right? Okay. You, you know, you, you've got your point at which you can go, well, it's a, it's fine, it's a film. It's supposed to be gratuitous. Yeah. You know, it's it's wearisome, it's cliched, but, you know, at the end of it, it's a, it's a horrendous stabbing, as it were. Yeah. What this doesn't do is give you any of that. It's a, it's a really, really difficult scene to watch, a really uncomfortable scene to watch because you don't actually see a lot other than Iris's face, a little bit of nudity, you know, accepted, um, but the acknowledgement of the idea that she is being raped and murdered and there is no catharsis in it. In fact, it's worse than the catharsis because the point at which the murderer puts the squid device on her head you appreciate, you don't see anything, you don't know it, but the idea is, is that she's feeling what the murderer is feeling whilst she is being murdered. And so that in itself is quite a challenging sequence to watch in a big budget Hollywood film. What Catherine Bigelow, I think, is doing in that, and I might be wrong, I, I might be having a leap here which isn't really there, and it is a controversial one, uh, sequence, and Catherine Bigelow does... Um, controversy does follow her around and I'll, I'll go on to a little bit about what I mean by that but so the, the, the key thing about it is that as the audience we are complicit in watching that sequence we've seen that sequence in many 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 films I mean maybe you haven't personally or maybe you know my mum hasn't seen that sequence personally but when we go to a thriller or an action film we get off on violent crime right it's got, we, it's it, got the snuff movie aesthetic in it it's got the snuff movie aesthetic in it yeah and, and and actually you know violent thrillers violent crime films this stuff is all over those films right and yet as audience members we're quite happy to absorb it we're quite happy to have it because there's catharsis at the end of it there's no catharsis here so i i, I found that quite an uh, a, a remarkable sequence actually now whether i like the sequence or not i don't think it matters the point is is that it's in the film and it's making a point about that which i think is quite clever um Controversy follows Catherine Bigelow around a little bit. In Zero Dark Thirty, there's a, there's a, a similar, um, a similar um, uh, kind of point of, of uh, voyeurism, um, which she was accused of because in Zero Dark Thirty, she shows quite extensive torture scenes and waterboarding as a means of getting information out of terrorists. What, she, what I think she does in that film is to show the, the, the reality of it without catharsis. But the controversy is, is that you can read it in a particular way, which says that using torture and in particular waterboarding is an effective tool yeah. in getting information out of terrorists. Now, actually, in Zero Dark Thirty, the information that's gleaned from it is false. But nevertheless, 
I think that there is there is potentially a case. I mean, I don't agree with it personally. I don't think that is what's happening, yeah. but I can see why the argument is made. And Catherine Bigelow, I think, suffers a little bit from being a female director in what would be a field of male directors in the in the big budget action film. There aren't many like her, and I think if this was directed by a man, it would probably be brushed off as an action film. But because it's directed by her. There's a lot in it, I think. There's a lot in it. Um, that come, I, I appreciate I'm banging on a little bit, here, but that <laughs> comes to my other point that I wanted to, to, to raise, which is about the technical accomplishments of the film. Okay. So um, I think it's fair to say for me, I don't mind films where plots are superfluous to a certain extent, right? I don't mind it. I, I, I like, I like, I think. The Long Kiss Goodnight is a good example where the plot, I don't think, really mattered. Really, really. The, pl the plot was there at all to move the film forward. And I think this is the same here as well. But there are perhaps four or five sequences, one of which is the controversial rape murder scene, which we've described. But the film opens with what you think is going to be part of the film, i.e. it's a robbery, an armed robbery, a violent armed robbery of a local restaurant. Chinese restaurant yeah. and you see you see it from one of the armed robbers perspectives and that it's filmed through um the, the the car parking them coming out of the car then going into the restaurant then shoving people into the freezer getting the money running up the stairs the police have arrived there's they're up on the top of the restaurant they're jumping over the restaurant on to another building to escape and then the person that you see the experience through is jumping over grabs over to the edge doesn't make it and falls to his death that's, that is one cut. Um, and f that's an incredible opening to a film. Um, and it doesn't look complicated, but it must have been incredibly complicated to film that sequence. And there are probably, I think there are four or five squid point of view sequences in the film, yeah. which are all, if not one cut, but very long cuts. I believe that um, the, the robbery was done in, in four cuts, but they, they okay, zoomed the camera okay. to cover the gap. You're, yeah, that's correct. So it's it's filmed it's, as it's one. continuous edit. Yeah, it looks like yes, yeah, it looks like one cut. And um, I, I mean, again, nineteen seventeen did they nineteen seventeen did yeah, or they um, they birdmanned it. Um, you oh know, yes, that, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or you know, if you want to go back in time, this is not a new thing. They they the Alfred Hitchcock film Rope does that. That's one. That's a film, a ninety minute film, which is which is delivered as one cut. It's not one cut, but it's purported. So, you know, this, it's got a big history of it in, in American in, in, in filmmaking. But um, to, to get it to that kind of level of complexity, I think was really clever because um, it's not done with CGI either. It's done with cameras, camera work and camera angles. So the stuntman had a camera on his head as he jumped steady, over steady that building. Camera, yeah. steady, that's right. As he jumped over the building and fell. Yeah. So it's, there's no CGI in it. And I think... I, 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 I was kind of blown away a little bit by that. Um, that opening sequence kind of, I thought, whoa, I came out of that quite adrenaline pumped, as it were. Um, it's quite, quite, quite big. So I think, I think there is a, there are technical aspects of the film which are utterly immersive. I think it's totally inc incredible the way that it's filmed, actually. I think the vision of the city is, is, is a really well-established version of a near-future city that's spiralling out of control. Um, I wanted to compare some aspects of it to The Long Kiss Goodnight as well. So The Long Kiss Goodnight is also technically brilliant, right? I think that the action yeah. sequences in The Long Kiss Goodnight are fantastic, but in a more straightforward way. And this isn't to say that it's this isn't to, to do The Long Kiss Goodnight down. As you know, I gave it five stars. Yeah. But in The Long Kiss Goodnight, the explosions are explosions. The gunfights are gunfights. 
it's it's incredibly technically impressive, but it's simple, <laughs> if I can think of it like that. Yeah. Um, Strange Days, the action sequences don't look as extravagant as they do in The Long Kiss Goodnight, but I think they're more technically impressive, if okay. that makes sense. Yeah. So that's where I think the difference is. <clears throat> and also, I think you've got you've got you've got two films where in the long kiss good night you have a director that's a bit of a director for hire that that isn't great but has a script which is absolute dynamite so the director only has to move from action sequence a to b and he he nails it yeah in strange days you have a script which i don't think is great but you have a director which who is totally on the top of her game when it comes to creating a sense of urgency danger and technical brio um, to develop the, the, the story ideas that would have been needed to create, to move it forward. Um, so a lot there, that would be my initial kind of thoughts. On, but there are other things, there are other things I want to get into, oh, yeah. But, yeah. but my initial kind of brain dump of what I thought of the film. I've got a page of notes too. I think I'll begin with actually um, what I think is, is, is actually maybe the, the, the crux of, of what I feel about this film. Mm. And it's almost, almost it, it does touch on your point too, is I think, this film is in thrall, if you like, to the the gimmick of the squid recording. That's it's it's, it's a, a lot of it revolves around it. Um, uh, again, the, the fact again, there's it it spends a lot of time on the sequences. Again, the the time when we mentioned here, the time when Ray finds is or Lenny is flashbacking to his his <clears throat> scene with with Faith and they're, they're roller skating and they go back and have sex. Mm. Is a lot of time is devoted to that. So probably you know, three times as much as you could do to get that information across. Mm-hmm. Whereas the time spent establishing why he knows Angela Bassett is quick, boom, because it's a simple recording. Se- it's a regular sequence, and it was like because I know they spent a, they spent like a year in development of these steady cam technologies, yeah, and there's a lot of time and money went on getting this right. So it feels like they they were they were doing it a lot. You know, they mentioned the four or five sequences. A lot was done to it, and for me, uh, essentially, it didn't work. I think that's mm-hmm. probably that, that's okay. the crux of it. It's um, and fair play to them. It's it's new and they had a bash at it. So you can't knock yeah, them yeah, yeah, for trying to yeah, push yeah. the envelope for it. But ultimately, it's what you experience from the film. And to just take that initial robbery, because I, I read about the again, I looked about the, um, the 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 way they did it backstage. So they had they had to do it with the Steadicam rig, um, and also they had to dub the sound in afterwards because the, the sound guys couldn't follow them fast enough to get the sound in there. And the effect of that is it comes across as very unnatural. I think. Uh, one reason is that is that um, one says people's eyes don't move like the 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 POV does move. It's it moves yes. like a cameraman would move his head. It's it yes. gets all the information in and it's quite comprehensive. Whereas actually, if you just observe how you you look in your own eyes, your eyes are always darting all over the place. They're taking in information. They're never focusing really on just one thing unless you're watching a movie. But normally, you're 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 zipping around. Your 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 focus is everywhere. So it didn't put me in the place of a person's eyes. It put me in the place mm. of a steady cam operator. Yeah, and also okay. the idea of dubbing sound, and, and that was true not just for the robbery, but also for the point when he's dancing with Juliet Lewis, also for the um the the the, the attack scenes and this kind of stuff. And then it, the point with um when he's when the when the voice is dubbed over, it sounded really false. I mean, the dialogue in this isn't great generally, mm. but it sounded even worse. Like in the robbery scenes, like there's one point when he hands him a gun, and then the camera pans down, and you see again, he's going, "Why are you giving me this gun? I hate this gun." And it's almost like an improv scene where he said, "Say something that you would that this person holding the gun would say right mm. now." And it's like they're just and it so it comes across as 
you know the dialogue doesn't have to be brilliant but it but you know you've seen again we've seen point break when she's the captain bigelow directed some zinging heist scenes and they're just yeah. the, the things they're shouting at each other are you know they're relaying information they're moving across their, they're, it, it's just so much more immersive actually when, they, when they're doing that when it's when it feels natural than this this pov thing for me so that mm. actually you know the thing that the, the film was really setting its wares out saying look at this didn't get me and i, and I, I suppose it. that's a problem isn't it because if yeah. the film is if the film's core central point is that yeah and that and you're not convinced by it yeah. you're not going to be convinced by the film yeah. are you? and i do so, appreciate uh, it was uh, mid-90s and it was yeah. new technology yeah. and they worked very hard for it but i was thinking about um i think that's not the only problem with it. there's a few other actually issues with the way this affects the plot like for instance uh lenny is given all these tapes because you know that's the correct he's given these 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 um jacked in memories to follow the trail of clues the issue with that is Everything when he's witnessing it, it's already happened. It's a done deal. It's been recorded. It's on the disc and it's in his in his in his recorder. It's not like he's going into a live feed and he's and there's urgency because the mm. first time he gets Iris's murder, he yells at May saying, "Drive to the hotel now." It's like, well, she's dead. You've, you're you're watching her murder. And the second one, when he watches Faith's um, apparent Eck murder, when it's actually it's not, but it's a fake out, he's like in agony. But once again, if he's trying to save her and he's been given a tape of her murder, it's over. And I think that. Maybe just a, a narrative. You're a harsh man. You're You wouldn't no, bother. I, you well, no, I think this is important because <laughs> when he was watching yeah. those tapes, I just felt, well, I'm, there's no tension. This has happened. Yeah. It's like being yeah. shown a corpse. Like you can't save them anymore. And therefore, the the gimmick they thought of. I mean, I imagine maybe again James Cameron, Catherine Bigelow hashed this idea out. But I don't think they thought it through enough thinking what would really ramp up tension because if it's a, a live feed he's reading into then it becomes incredibly scary he's seen what the killer sees he's um and if mm. you know lenny had some ability his, his innate knowledge of how this jacking in works allows him some you know ability to to jump onto other people's feeds and he, he uses that power to solve the crime or whatever that works but just to be the person receiving the back information he's in the same position we are and we have no power to affect the plot any more than he does mm. so both both the the technical way it was portrayed and also i think actually the way it, it did was a problem and the third thing i'll come to now with this again i have a lot of problems with the squid thing because i think it, i think this is hangs on how i feel about the film is it doesn't really relay into enough of the film or the plot it it essentially Linny's problem if you like is he can't let go of faith and he's got all yeah. these tapes of their memory and he's watching them again and again and alan Bassett and mace at some point just just throws the tapes and saying you can't live in the past these memories are meant to fade live in the right here right now which fat boy slim later copied for his song yeah you know? yeah but um you've got to live in the now and you've got to let it go so that's the that's where the, that's where the, the plot and the the squid ties in together it's sort of dealt with because he sort of turns back on his back on faith and gets together with mace although he never really turns his back on the, the whole wiring thing and he doesn't even solve the crime using the squid he just throws tom size more over the building so it's not really essential to the, the res resolution of the plot and it plays no resolution in how mace deals with the two cops coming in apart from yeah. again presenting the evidence to the commissioner it's just a piece of evidence there's no sense of this stuff is is you know jacked in and Again, I'm going to, once again, do the Yakuza of his writing a movie I'd like to see. What if it was the case of they use this evidence? Because it's not just a body cam film of someone being murdered. It's how they feel. Um, what if they use evidence to make people feel how, you know, if, if actually it had been Jericho who'd been wearing the the, the wire and yeah. everyone suddenly felt what it was like to be victimized and brutalized by the police and that changed the, the nation. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's just, yeah. it's just a record. It's no different from, again, the Rodney King recording when yeah. everyone saw him getting beaten. 
the fact that it's squid technology and cerebral cortex and everything is, is doesn't make a difference. It's just a recording of, of, a, of a crime yeah. being committed. So you're right. It, it is just a recording. And actually, this was this was just only a couple of years after Rodden King. And exactly. I, I did I did read an interview with with Catherine Bigelow that said that said that that was a direct influence on this. Yeah, I have other thoughts about that too. But to, to round up my yeah. thoughts on the squids, I was, I was thinking because I'm, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt with how the technology worked because I appreciate it was new and it was pushing the envelope. What would I feel about the Matrix if the special effects sucked? And I'd probably think it would probably be a weekend at Crombie's film because it'd be like this hidden gem. I think it still would have been a good film because I think it had enough heart in there between the characters and the idea that even if the bullet time hadn't worked and the, the country yeah. looked silly, you'd still go, well, they didn't get it right. But my God, there's a story in there. And this they didn't get it right. And I didn't feel there was anything that could redeem it. So, so do, you, do you think that the, the film's special effects look bad? Because I think the film looks fantastic. Well, just as in, as in the, the world they created. Yeah, I was a bit let down by that. To be honest, I didn't. I'm, I I felt um, like it's, it's it's not it's not the fact of of I, a couple of thoughts. Firstly, I felt he was they were trying too hard to to kind of. Um, this, this is simply I came across actually when I used to read and write a lot of bad science fiction is when you're creating a world that has you know, new things in it, you try and get a lot of the, the dialogue gimmick stuff in there. Mm. And they, they, could, they were mentioning that a lot. Like Ray Fiennes' character is full of things. You, you ever jacked in? You ever been wired? You I like that. Head. But it was too much. It was, it didn't oh, no, I thought it was great. It, it felt so plot because actually, you know, given over, you know, the course of human history, whenever something new comes on, you just call it getting high or something. Like that. You just call it, you know, yeah, you're yeah. wired. Or you wouldn't need to um, invent a whole new nonclementure for a new drug. And I thought that... Well, that getting felt, wired, surely, is, is nomenclature that's recent. Okay. Yeah, if they call it wired or something like that. Or, uh, but it, it felt actually just like it was... They were trying too hard with that. But in terms of the general world, there's, actually, there's a reference to Blade Runner. They, they, um, they um, refer to that as a, uh, a line they pull from it, which obviously, you know, this is their Blade Runner. But if you look back at Blade Runner, that world is realized. I know that's, you can talk about the Citizen Kane of, of future science films, but that feels very, like, down to the food they eat and the way, I know it's meant to be set far in the future, but this felt to me like, I don't know, a, a particularly chaotic normal city it didn't feel like i am cast into the the, the, the but, possible future actually take gattaca gattaca is a better example because gattaca is oh, set in the not too stand gattaca you can't stand gattaca i love gattaca <laughs> gattaca to me feels like um something that's that's not now but it could be a little bit in the future and, it, and the little touches they put in there feel like it this feels like actually it wasn't probably realized um no i, I completely disagree I, I i i feel that strange i feel that i feel as though the the cityscape, the culture, the society that they were in was incredibly well realized because of the touches that they put in, because of the way that it was. I mean, for me, the 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 scenes toward the start of the film where Lenny Nero is just riding through the city, talking on his phone and having a, a, you know, a bombardment of images and, 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 yeah. and visuals and sounds. It reminded me a lot of um, some some of the films like Children of Men. If you've seen Children of Men. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Where, where there, there's a there, there's a it's it's the near future. It's recognizable. Yeah. It's recognizable, but it's slightly off kilter. Um, there's a bit of lawlessness there. There's militarization happening. Yeah. I quite I really I felt I felt I felt like it, it felt like it could have been Los Angeles today, but potentially, right? Yeah. And that's that's what I really really liked about it. The other thing I would add, and See, this children and be... men, I did like children. I, I say children yeah. and men, I got in terms of the near future. This this did not click with me. Well, I'm going to say something that is probably one of the most controversial things I might have I might have said on Weekend at Crumbs okay. thus far. Um, so, f for me personally, 
Um, I, I get I get the fascination with Blade Runner. I don't like Blade Runner. I don't think Blade Runner is a great film. I think it's an average film, which is fundamentally a bit boring. Um, and I think it takes itself far too seriously. The aesthetic of Blade Runner, yes. I, gr- I grant, is memorable. But I think that I think that it has garnered such a following and such a, a heightened sense of its place in the science fiction pantheon that it, it can only be it can only be memorable because that's the only thing people remember about it. If, if that makes sense, <laughs> I yeah. think the film itself is utterly forgettable. And I know I know that um, this doesn't necessarily you know I don't like Blade Runner. I don't think it's a great film. So therefore, this doesn't say much about Strange Days, but I think Strange Days is a far better film than Blade Runner. Okay. My own personal view in it, in terms of entertainment, I thought it, it rendered it, it rendered what you're saying about the reality of life yes. in that particular sequence really well, okay. unlike Blade Runner, which I thought was a science fiction film. I, I, I almost feel like Strange <clears throat> Days is, is almost like an alternate reality film. Yeah, yeah, and I, I won't, I won't plant my flag on to defend the Hill of Blade Runner. I think the aesthetics are great, but I, I get bored with the various director's cuts and what have you, so I'm not going to yeah. um, defend that. But um, actually, here's something again, uh, positive and negative, I can say about it is, uh, again, when again, this is obvious. Catherine Bigelow can really direct an action scene. She can really get things exciting, and this was almost one of the disappointments in it is when it's not a squid sequence, like when they're chasing after in the car and the cops are leaning out a machine gunning and setting them on fire and all this kind of stuff. When when Angela Bassett is beating them up, it's really exciting. And I I watched um, the trailer on the DVD of the film and it's a film I'd really want to see because it doesn't have any of the squid bits in it. It's just a really exciting (laughs) action sequence. And you realize then, or I realize then how much these squid sequences drag the film out and slow it down because it's a, it's a two hour 20 film. And it does feel like they have the, the, the impression of, we paid for these and we spent a year getting the cassette cam right. We're going to use all our squid footage um, because it's they, they pay so little attention to the, what could be good about the film. And it gets laden down with these very heavy, like say the, the assault scene is jarring. And I don't, mm-hmm. whether that's meant to be or not, because it's jarring in the film it belongs to. The initial scene when Ray finds meets face is too long. You don't need to see all that. I disagree. Because there's a voyeurism, there's a voyeurism to it, which is really important to, to reflect on. So I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the the the, the Nero and um, Faith sequence because yeah. there's a bit of gratuitous nudity in it, which is kind of unnecessary. But that's the kind of that's the point of the squid technology. That's the point of the principle of it is that it's it's supposed to be gratuitous yeah. in that context. I mean, here's an odd thing. So this is what I wrote about the squid. Thing. I think this. I think the um, the squid sequences are what makes the film. Which is really weird, isn't it? Because it's the thing that takes you out of the film totally. But um, I wrote this about uh, about it. I was going to say this in my summing up at the end. So, but I'll, I'll mention it there because I think it does contradict completely what, what you're what you're saying. It's, it's almost the total opposite. The intricately choreographed long take point of view shots that capture an incredible stylistic movement from adrenaline rush to disgust to romantic evocation. Um, I thought that what Catherine Bigelow had done in those sequences is kind of not worry too much about narrative style or focus which is perhaps the issue i guess and just just dealt with i'm a sucker for long takes anyway and i'm a sucker for um directors that make decisions about using long takes because i like them a lot and i think it takes a lot more complexity than it looks like it takes if that makes sense um i didn't think they dragged the plot down at all well i don't think the plot matters that much i didn't think they dragged the film down i thought for me after watching one of those sequences maybe i was looking too much at the technique 
and not what was actually happening. And you were looking at what was happening and the technique was taking you away from it. I was looking at the technique going, that's incredible. That's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was saying to myself, I was breathless. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah a number of those sequences. Um, very interesting. You said something about the fact that the... and Okay, I, I, will, I will absolutely give you this, that you're right, the, the squid technology isn't what makes for me anyway those point of view sequences good right it's not the squid technology that does that it's nothing to do with the squid bit it's the directorial decision to do long takes yeah that's that's what i like about that the squid thing is just something that enables the director to do that if they want to right um so there is that but you, you you mentioned that um that the, the plot and the decision points, particularly later in the film, yeah. don't really have anything to do with the squid technology. It doesn't matter. They're just recordings about things. I do agree with you on that, yeah. actually. Yeah. But, it, it, but it, I think if you look at... I think the film is... It presents itself in a kind of neo-noir tradition to a certain extent. So in in, in, the, in some of the better film noirs, yeah. the, the, the main protagonist... Whatever whatever is happening around him or her, usually a him, I suppose, yeah. Yeah. It, the, the decision making processes are personal and selfish. Yeah. And so you you have you have these vistas in the film, and I think they're really evocatively captured. But you have these vistas of police brutality, of a, a city on the cusp of riot, yeah. and really, <laughs> all Lenny cares about is getting faith back. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. the story for him. That's yeah. a that's a that's a noir trope. It is, yes. But although I did pretty much that, I had a note too saying this is like a film noir in reverse, is that this is not a conspiracy that goes all the way to the top. It goes all the way to the bottom. bottom. It is it is essentially just about two murderous cops and a jealous boyfriend. And that's that's it. It's not whereas normally in a film the, noir, you'd, is, yeah, in the end that is all it's about. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's a, it, it, and to me, that was a problem, too, because the whole thing got boiled down to a very small story, not very, very big one. I didn't really care about Lenny and uh, and his his romance. I cared more about, again, um, Mace and the cops chasing her and the decisions yeah. of that tape. But it, it was hard yeah, to get on board with what was going on there. So that it was it was noirish. But um, I thought, come on to actually the I won't dissect the plot because I think we've, there isn't a lot of plot here. And I think the plot is generally silly. And when I when I resolved to, to not worry too much because if you if you ignore the holes and just enjoy it you know, you'll, you'll get a better time so for example angela bassett who proclaims herself during her first exposition to be you know a single working mother she has a commitment she has responsibilities there is no way the character presented in that scene would be in a single scene more of the film because she has yeah. a child to look after she doesn't have yeah. any skin she yeah. doesn't have any skin in the game she doesn't care what happens to any of the stuff that begins you know, like the who's sending lenny snuff videos or whatever she doesn't need except, to be in, it, except, except she, she loves him yeah yeah but she has declared that she declared that she's sick of his behavior she has yeah. responsibilities she wouldn't put herself in in physical danger of that magnitude for so little gain um i think but once you get past that and think, well, let's go on, let's go on. Um, Mace, is one of the, Mace is one of the best characters in it. And it and had this been, you know, a traditional film noir, if Mace had been the lead protagonist who, you know, discovered, say, this, you know, Iris had been murdered and had to, to event, find her death or whatever, and was chasing down that lead and then brought in this seedy contact, Lenny, who she knew was really good with the wire. Um, mm. That, to me, is a much stronger plot because then you have everything is tied in 
together and you're not lenny is not the protagonist i think you see the protagonist in this movie he's just the guy we follow around the most um mm. and and we you know we, we're made to care about faith because he cares about her and had you had mace as the the, the lead because she's the one that kicks all the ass and actually takes the decisions and is doing the driving if you like and lenny is is mostly reacting to things and and kind of falling into bad patterns he feels much more like a, a sidekick in a while and angela bass is the lead in it yeah i i i think I think they're co-protagonists at, at least, aren't they? Certainly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I was, so I, in, in terms of the, the characters themselves, I, I don't disagree with, the, the, I'm just talking about the Lenny character. I warmed to Lenny as the film went on, I have to say, but for me, the driving force of the film is, um, is Mace. And what I yeah. wanted the film to do was have Mace and Lenny get together at the end because I, I really wanted that to happen because I, I think they had really good chemistry yeah. um, with each other. I think they played off each other really well. And it's what happened at the end. So yeah. I was well chuffed at the end and I came out of it quite euphoric thinking, <laughs> well, that was quite optimistic because in the end also, I mean, the real world hasn't played out like this, I guess. But what this is effectively saying is that there's an optimistic tone at the end of the film, which is, yeah, absolutely. You give this to the police commissioner, they sort it out. And actually things aren't as bad as you think they're going to be. Maybe that's a bit naive. But that's what the film, well, that's what the film is effectively <laughs> yeah, yeah. saying, right? That, that's, that's what it's fair. saying in a, in a broad, in a broad possible kind of context, it, you know, broad brush, that's what it's saying. So it was quite optimistic. And, and the, the girl gets the guy. Um, and, you know, I suppose for me, the biggest, the biggest criticism I have of the film and, you're going to laugh at this because it's not really much of a criticism. The biggest criticism I have of the film is I couldn't understand why Lenny was in even remotely interested in Faith yeah. and not Mace because that to me, I was like, well, why, why is he going, why, what is this? Surely it's Mace. Mace is the one. Yeah. <laughs> right well, from the start. For, for a couple I got of annoyed. Minutes, actually, that, that's a good point. One thing, there was an opportunity there to show that Again, to delve into the theme of the squid thing is that if you relive happy memories that have passed again and again and again, you're, they, 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 no one even says this, but this is what I'm now expositing that could have got mm. in. If you constantly relive memories that you know should should fade, you're artificially okay. creating a connection that isn't yeah. there. Because Faith, yeah. he's he's basically stalking Faith. She continually says, "Go away," and even yeah. even though well, her life isn't in danger, that she's just telling, "Go away, go away," and he keeps reappearing, and it's like. She's not like she's not a damsel in a tower. She just doesn't want him in her life, and he's coming back. So that's creepy. Um, and so that you're right. Yeah. He, he should be with Angela Bassett. She's she's a better match for him. I will say actually, if we mentioned, we think we've name checked everybody. The cast is very strong, and they, and mostly they play their roles very well. I did think yeah. Ray Fiennes um, was, I don't know, perhaps because you know he's a good actor. His intensity. I think came across Lenny's a bit too seedy. Um, I, I didn't to start with. I, I thought. Yeah. I, I thought he, he recovered it a bit. I I, agree. I was. Yeah. Un, I, I found it. It was unusual seeing Ray Fiennes as an action hero to start with. Or in he this, was in, the, he in, was in that kind of... funny place in his career when he was he was dipping his toes in Hollywood, wasn't he? He was finding out yeah. which roles were right for him. It was like when um, George Clooney first appeared and started doing everything. He did romantic comedies and action and Batman. And <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. do, do lots and we'll find out where you belong. Yeah, yeah, and that's a bit like Ray Fiennes. But I think I think Ray Fiennes pulls off pulls the, the character yeah. well actually i think, I think what, there's a there's you you nailed it in in the kind of pre-conversation we have there's a there's a touch of a 90s bradley cooper about him i absolutely think absolutely thought but i did yeah. think actually i mean yeah with, with this long he, he got a very bradley cooper vibe but had 
had it been played by Bradley Cooper, for example, I think we'd have got a bit more of the charm that would A, understand why Mace was putting up with him, and B, how he manages to convince all these clients. Because that, that's apparently his charm. They kept saying he mm. could talk anybody or anything. And he comes across as a bit... I don't know. I wouldn't have been convinced by him. He's a bit wheeler like, dealer, isn't he? He's a bit. Yeah. He's a bit Del Boy. And he's 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 end camp from the start. And I think the idea was he was meant to be a bit of a dandy. He's very concerned about his ties and whatever. Mm. And I think I would like him to be quite sharply sorted out at the beginning and and gets you know dishevelled as his as his life unravels. But there wasn't that case of you know the way he said, "I'll charm you. I'll find out you you can trust me. I'm your priest. I'll, I'll you know I'll I'll keep your deeper secrets and I'll give you all the, the tempting stuff." That didn't come across. It was basically you know Lenny's a bit seedy. Yeah, it's true because it, and there's there's a there's a bit bit of a kind of um, contradiction in the film because later in the film you you do realise that he starts he he's he's concerned about what people think about the way that he dresses. So he, wear, he wears these flamboyant ties and these yeah. expensive shirts and these you know these Armani suits and all this kind of stuff. But at the start of the film, he's basically trying to get people to stop beating him up by giving them fake Rolexes. Yeah. Um, and he's he looks a bit you're right he looks seedy so there, there is a bit of a co- kind of contradiction there I I, I think um, I think you're right to say that the the, the cast goes deep um, I I was really good to see um, Michael Wincott in a film yes, again you yes. know I really like I don't know what happened to him but no, in the nineties yeah, a lot of films wasn't he. He was a very good villain. Again, he's basically played villains, but he's really good at it. I think he's a great villain. And again, he got brain fried in The Crow. That was his comeuppance too. The Crow fed him memories to screw his brain as he got killed here. So he's got a form for being uh, being brain scrambled as his means of exit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But the the the, it, the cast goes deep. And it's a roll call of 90s uh, actors and actresses, um, Juliet Lewis and Tom Sizemore being being two 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 people as well. But uh, I did well, they, find... they were last in Natural Born Killers trying to kill each other, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, I mean Juliet Lewis is. A, I think she's more of a, a singer songwriter, isn't she? Really? Than a... Oh, is she? Yeah, she's... yeah, she's. I did not know. Yeah. I've, not, I've not heard any of her oeuvre, but again, she seems to be sort of a perennial supporting actor. She was in loads in the 90s, but I don't really yeah. remember her headline. She's not really a, a lead actress. She's a bit too quirky for that. Yeah, she's she's kind of a punk rock is her kind of thing and 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 stuff like that. Um, but she, yeah, you're right. She wasn't a lot of things. So the, California, have seen that with Brad Pitt. The K, uh, yeah. She was in the uh, remake of Cape Fear. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very young. She was in that. But then there was um, Natural Born Killers and uh, uh, Dust Till Dawn. And yes, of course. Yeah, she's in that as well. So yes, you're right. So she's she's got a bit of an idiosyncratic career. Uh, as Tom Sizemore, I know, is, is I think has had quite well publicised um, addiction issues as well. So you know, he's probably not quite as famous as perhaps he should be. Is he no longer um, with us? Oh, he is. He is. He is. But um, I think is there, is there another Sizemore who's dead then? <laughs> I don't know whether I, mean, I don't know whether he's dead or not. Maybe I think, I think he might have died a while back. Yeah. Oh, okay. But he went. He went from being in things like. Don't don't get too cut up there, James. <laughs> All right. Sorry. That's a fair point. <clears throat> well, you were the one earlier that said um, I didn't buy into Mace's intentions. It was only unrequited love. <laughs> so you know come on but um i did not buy tom sizemore is alive at the point of recording there we go Sorry, I suppose my, my point with tom, tom sizemore is that he went from fil- starring in big budget films like this i suppose although it wasn't successful and things like saving private ryan very to, cool. nothing, to nothing yeah. <laughs> and i think i think he had a bit of a reputation as being challenging should we say on set but i didn't really Wait, buy a... i did a eh? he's quite a tough guy in movies though he's uh... yeah, he does, yeah. He's that go-to guy. I didn't. I didn't buy the the the, the Lewis Sizemore tete-a-tete at the end at all. It just felt so weird. 
I think it might have been the hair. He had really bad hair. Yeah, I don't know. I just I couldn't see why Juliet Lewis would be remotely interested. But you know, well, some this, this, this does come to my my issue about there being no emotional core because we don't really know a lot about the relationship between Lenny, Faith, or Mace at all. Again, now including Max too. We, they they have, they they're together because we're told they're together, and they love each other because we're told they love each other. There's there's not a lot of why. Um, so yeah, I think that that is an issue. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they, they go from the different points, but there's no feeling that. Again, you said you you wanted her to get together, Mason and Lenny to get together. Well, you kind of did because they were both protagonists. They were nice, but not. You didn't really feel like this was the great love story that it would think it was supposed to be. What? I don't know. <laughs> I really liked it. I thought I I really liked the chemistry that they had. I wanted them to get together because I thought they were a really good on-screen couple, and it worked really well. I appreciate that. What what I might have wanted is if 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 there was a possibility of adding another half an hour to the film a detailed backstory of perhaps missed <laughs> opportunities. But to be honest, in a two hour, 20, 25 minute film, there was enough in it anyway. Um, it, it, didn't, it didn't need another backstory or it didn't need uh, uh, any more um, to it. It was, I mean, the, the one thing I will say, it was, it was an oddly long film. It was, yeah. Because um, I, I think, think, well, you, you crunched down the squid recordings, you probably got it down to a, a lean 90 minutes. <laughs> well, well it's it about, about five times. It ends about five oh, well. times. Here's, here's one more squid, just to return to that. There's the yeah. point, um, you could have kept the scene actually because it's pointless, but this is when uh, um, Lenny goes to see one of his friends who's some kind of video editor. And yeah. as a present, he's got, he legs, g- he? yeah. he's got no legs. And as a present, he gives him a recording, which is, a, he's, he's feeling what it's, um, it's a man running on the beach and he feels what it's like to have legs and tears come in his eyes. And I thought that actually is a quite moving, makes us like Lenny more and is mm-hmm. quite um, quite a good exploration of the squid it's not just about sex it's like well if you want to feel something you can't feel if you want to regain i thought oh that's nice and then all of a sudden a woman <laughs> in a bikini yeah. runs past him and he looks at her leeringly and i'm thinking okay, does it all have to be about sex it's like yes it does, this, yes, it yes. does. yes it does well i, I <laughs> honestly it's like they were almost there but now they go back to that but um i would probably dwell on that i'll come to another what i think is big point about the movie because okay. you mentioned yourself the, the kind of the rioting i said it was in full to the squid gimmick the other thing it leans on very heavily is the rioting idea um yeah. and again um james cameron said he was inspired post rodney king riots to to do this but um two points of this from first of a filmmaking point is the film begins and it's pretty riotous already. Like as he's driving through the streets, yeah, it's, it's, things are yeah. on fire and the army are walking around with, with machine guns to keep order and people are beating up Santa Claus. So it's already kicked off. And so it's already quite high. So I wasn't getting a sense of this is festering and just one thing will kick it over. It felt like this is perpetual riot. And for me, that took away a lot of the tension because it just felt like you step outside and rioting is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it would have it would have felt more if there'd just been that, if they'd got across the mood of the riot and then on the finale, it's like, and now it's all kicked off because I don't know the cops have started shooting or Mace has been beaten up and the, you know, the, the, yeah. um, the kid, the spark has lit the, the powder keg and it's all gone. And because it wasn't that, because the rioting never went down, I couldn't really feel the up of it. And that was, so that's a filmmaking issue with me. It's like, it, it, it didn't go up and down. It was like, it's all writing all the time. And it was more people in the end, but it was still just more people doing what they'd done. Yeah, in the beginning. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really interesting because I, there's a real, dis, there's a real distinction between what I bring, what I thought of the film, what I've taken from the film, what you've taken from the film. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the way that the film presents the, 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 the rioting or a city on the edge yes. and thinking that is technical brilliance in the way that that's filmed and you're thinking it this adds nothing this doesn't help me understand the film more 
Yes, yes, I'd say so. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. feeling it. Yeah. And the, the the final point with the writing is about something I am completely unqualified to talk about. Um, but it was about kind of the the, the aesthetics of, again, of, um, of police violence against black people in L.A. Yeah. And that yeah. basically the whole thing tied around that. And when I say I'm not qualified to talk about it, I don't think James Cameron is, too. I think that came across quite clearly yeah, right, yeah. because I it felt yeah. like they were just using you know, a clearly very prescient. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen in 2020, but it was clearly, it was happening in the nineties too. He was dealing with a very real situation and it felt like it was being used as window dressing. Um, like I say, the, the the words that he put into the, the the mouth of Jericho one were incredibly cliched and trite. It was basically just the, he wasn't actually saying anything that you'd imagine, say, a social rights campaigner would say. He was just saying the day is coming. They're moving yeah. dexters on the Titanic. We've had enough. And it was like, well, yeah. it sounds like this was written by a rather privileged middle aged white guy um, trying to sound like Jericho one. And well, I'll be honest with you. It sounds like it was written by James Cameron because James Cameron <laughs> is not a great scriptwriter. No, no. Um, and and that came get came across and likewise again it's yeah the the visuals of again when mace is getting beaten to the ground by by police batons as if that's just you know a, a, a kink in the plot rather than oh my mm. god this is really quite uncomfortable to watch yeah, yeah. And that's, the, it, that's the big issue isn't it yeah 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 and it's it's so it's, it's and it but it's it was sort of like again it was like appropriation it's he's appropriating something mm. that's very you know febrile and important and tactile and an using it point, as yeah. essentially the iceberg that hits the titanic of his of his plot um, because that's what it is it's just there to to make it more difficult for the characters to do things um mm. rather than actually having any kind of commentary or any kind of position to make a commentary on that and i felt that actually i felt uncomfortable watching that on a kind of a a, a moral point of view it's like you don't know what you're talking about i know you know what you're talking about and we're, yeah. we're somehow using this as just to make it more exciting that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, this, I, this, this is, now this is in the wake of bamboozle and set it off. You see, my, my eyes are open. Now, just <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a good point because I think it's not something that I'd considered when I was watching the film. In fact, one of, one of the statements I put here is it's a stirring and controversial um, kind of film that, that, that touches upon police militarization and violence. So I think it does, but I wonder whether that's the intention of James Cameron. Yeah probably isn't is it actually the I will intention say, of james cameron is probably just to create a, a money-making science fiction film yeah. whereas it just happens to have a bit of police militarization and violence in it yeah i, I think it, that's that is the point again it's i i i was saying again um my, my my entire take from this is that this strange days to me is um a gimmick in search of a film whether that gimmick is the squid or whether it's the, the the violence it's a gimmick that needs a film to wrap itself around and that's and actually maybe this is like james cameron's mo when the gimmick works when yeah, you have right. when the when the titanic works it doesn't matter how absurd the plot around it is when the gimmick of avatar works and loads of people bought into that i mean it wasn't for me but it was hugely successful because yeah. people bought into the gimmick and the plot is ridiculous but that's not matters matter because the, the gimmick well, works. The, the gimmick so perhaps um yeah, two of james cameron's most famous films uh, aliens and yeah. the terminator are you know aliens is basically an alien but z- so there's more of them the gimmick is brilliant because it's a war film right yeah. and the terminator is a time traveling robot and it works brilliantly yeah. well again both those are, are, are well plotted which again surprised maybe maybe this was better when his youth had some help or something because again he, his, his plots have got sketchy it seems as his time has gone by but well, it, um, the script the script to strange days was written by james cameron and jay cox who and they they were the team that wrote the terminator really well, yeah. you know, 
you, well, never, I... you never can tell. But I think, like I say, if again, we can, if the gimmick. If the gimmick works, I think you get carried away with it. You get carried along with the film. And well, the Matrix it, so, is a gimmick, isn't it? The Matrix is a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, it, works, it is. But it works. But it works. Um, so that, I think that was my conclusion. I think it, it just didn't take for me. And because it, it that what it what it was really pushing all its chips on to didn't take for me, I could see everything else that I didn't like about the film as well. Yeah, it was quite... I suppose, yeah, the, the final thing, the final thing on, the, on the, the casting of it is, we mentioned in the last recording... Um, what a shame that uh, Long Kiss Goodnight didn't do well and we didn't see the beginning of um, yeah. Gina Davis as an action hero. I think the same with Angela Bassett. She doesn't yeah. have a career after this. But oh, what yeah. an action hero Mace would have made um, on, the, on the back of this that had been successful. Oh, absolutely. She's well, just, absolutely what, 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 kick-ass. She is, she is. And what, what just Angela Bassett, God damn. Yeah, what and an actress! Not, yeah, yeah. I mean, what a what a physical yeah. performance! Yeah, and that's it. It's, it's not just that she's, she's done a few press ups and and she no, they've, no, they've, no, they've no, got no, the, no, the, no. the choreography right. She very much commands the action scenes. Um, yeah, she does. Just with the performance personality, and it's it's great fun to watch. And it makes you wonder again how that the imbalance in who the protagonists are. But yeah, it's a it's a shame that nothing more came from that. Well. I suppose we, the final point, actually, is it's the mid-90s, and they did have an interracial relationship there, which actually the well, Locust can, like, shied away from, and away most from, movies yeah. did. That's like, that, that's, I, well, I, there's, there's quite a few things on that, actually. I, this is my final point on it as well, I guess, then. Um, I've, I'd forgotten about this, but it's, a, it's an absolutely critical point, I suppose, which is, um, you know, for, for all that Hollywood rep- has moved on in terms of its representation of black characters, etc. I think there's quite a few themes that happened in this film, which I don't, I don't think you'd get in modern Hollywood now. I think you, you've got in, in, in the, in the party stroke writer scene, you've got a black female lesbian fronted rock band, Skunk and Nancy singing about the religious white, uh, the religious right. Whilst a black woman swipes the baton off a policeman, beats the living crap out of him. And then, gets the white male protagonist yeah yeah you don't see much of that in hollywood <laughs> that is true but maybe i'm reading a bit too much into it again I, I, good it's interracial you, you don't see much of that you don't do you you really don't you don't see much of it now let alone in the 1990s yeah i mean i, I think i've already mentioned i thought her character mace was all over the place in terms of the background and motivations but when you put that aside and just enjoy the performance it's, yeah, it's just a good performance but okay, if these we made our final points, we've gone into it a lot. There's clearly a lot yeah. to pick apart from that in possibly different directions. But let's let's keep that suspense for when we mm-hmm. give it our floating crombie head scores out of five. How exciting. Welcome back. Um, you can you can jack in for the last time, so to speak. Get, get your get <laughs> your wires you don't, jack, don't jack off. Though. J- j- jack in was an unfortunate term, wasn't it? Um, not my <laughs> unfortunate term. The movie's unfortunate term. Welcome back. Get the wires out of your head, and we can we can sail into the last part of the podcast, where we'll give it our floating crombie head scores out of five. Half marks are not allowed. James, would you like to lead us in? Um. Well. <laughs> I uh, I really enjoyed Strange Days. I um, I think it's a modern day cyberpunk um, version of a film like Vertigo, perhaps, um, where there is a, 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 an unrequited love story at the centre of it. I think it, it has a uh, I, I mentioned it in the in the in the, the main recording. It's a, a kind of controversial evocation of police militarisation of violence. Although I actually perhaps have now slightly been persuaded otherwise by the uh, general lack of um, 
um, kind of James Cameron's oeuvre around the black experience in, in his other films. So perhaps that isn't quite what it's supposed to be. Um, I found it a compelling mystery, to be honest. I thought fundamentally the technical brio, which I know that you, you, you struggle with, you, I thought was its greatest selling point. I thought Catherine Bigelow was unfairly maligned. It shouldn't have been five years before she made the next film after this. I think it's great. I think it is flawed. I think the script needs a lot of work. Um, but for all of its flaws, I came out of it quite hyped and enjoyed it a lot. So I'm going to give it four disembodied crombie heads. Four disembodied heads. Strong start for the year. Uh, my turn is, uh, unsurprisingly, I did not enjoy this film. <laughs> I, uh, I, the, the technical aspects were lost on me. They did not draw me in, and that pushed a lot of the other problems of the film. I felt, it, again, it was chasing its own gimmick. Um, I, I, what the, act, the, the, the action sequences in and of themselves were strong, and again, Catherine Bigelow is very good at doing that. And I can, so the performances were equally strong of a good cast. However, it just, you know, two hours, 20 minutes of just not the plot not making sense the characters running around and not only that you know <laughs> as some gimmicks that were either boring and with respect to the political side of it i felt not entirely you know um morally justified i felt like it was a bit cheating so it's 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 one floating grumpy head from here, oh, one. <laughs> it's one oh well i'll let you into a little secret here yeah uh i was quite ready to give this five but you know <laughs> you, you know how you know how during the conversation sometimes you think actually it probably isn't a five star film yeah. uh so it, but if you'd come in saying you know what i really enjoyed that i'd have, I'd have probably stuck to my guns <laughs> so it could have been our first five versus one i intimidated you there for my i'm sorry i uh no. I, I gave my best and i uh, i had i had reams of notes from it, so there was plenty to discuss at least in some respects, the films the films that you disagree with more are easier to describe, aren't they? That you know they're, they're easier to describe why you don't like them. I suppose the only thing is your your description of of what you found challenging or or problematic about the film, particularly around the black experience in it, probably certainly did kind of bump it down one for me. I, 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 it's not something I saw when I was watching the film, but I can understand that. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, we talked about we've spoken before about um, movies have their time, and, and yeah. if you see a movie out of its time, maybe you'll appreciate it more. I actually felt had we seen this five years earlier, um, the the visuals of like you know black police officers kneeling down and crushing a woman probably wouldn't be quite so strong and jarring. I mean, yeah, it's, true. It's true. like I, I saw that. I thought, bloody hell, this is not a good time to see this 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 sight. Um, so yeah. maybe maybe a movie came at the wrong time in its reviewing. Um, but yeah. so that was um, hit on for me. But uh yeah actually, i'll let you in on a secret um we're, i was watching this with my good lady and uh she, when we were discussing after she goes james is gonna bloody love this isn't he <laughs> <laughs> so he's gonna love the technical side he's gonna say it was ever so well shot <laughs> really that is she's brilliant. Got, well, she is she's is, she's listened to every single podcast she doesn't have your number now oh she has got me down pat hasn't she <laughs> particularly as i i mean as i was saying toward the end there when I was saying that what I liked about the film was the technical aspects of it and what you disliked about the film was that the technical aspects of it provided no development for the film itself it had no emotional core as a consequence well we come into different sides it's, it's interesting the films we both actually like because it shows that it's dovetailed the, uh, the, the filmmaking and the storytelling have come together yeah, well, exactly. That's very true. Did, did your good lady enjoy the film or not? I presume no, not. not at all. Not at all. Less no, than I did. <laughs> Although she was keen to watch it she was key. She loves sci-fi. Um, and again, the, the, if you look on the cover, the cast looks, looks great. Actually, the, the the trailer looks great. Um, so yeah. uh, you know, if you if you do everything but watch the film, you'll have a grand time with the uh, Strange Days. <laughs> <laughs> well, dear listener, 
we are at the point of the podcast now where it's nearly the end and so everyone can cheer and go to bed and get on with their lives um but before we do that Hugh February is your choice what we're going to be watching next month well this might be an interesting one but I, I felt compelled to pick it um it, it fulfills the criteria of a film that was, again, very unsuccessful in the box office and critically maligned. We're going to be watching Miller's Crossing. Oh, is that a Coen Brothers film? It is a Coen Brothers film. I'm glad you didn't immediately leap to that, which shows you didn't, you know, you may not be completely familiar with it. Uh, well, I've not seen it. You've not seen it? Oh, well, I'm looking for because I've seen it many times, so I'm looking forward to fresh eyes on it. Excellent. Ah, we'll lovely. be watching okay. Miller's Crossing. Very good, very good. Well, I look forward to crossing that bridge when we come to it. Hey, come There's on. No, it's a road crossing. Oh, there is no bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I've got that out of the way. Otherwise, you'd be watching the whole museum. There's no bridge. There's no bridge. Yeah. One star. One star. I, yeah. I did like about this film was that there was no bridge in it. <laughs> is, are there bridges? Are there bridges in Madison County? There better be. I'd, I'd hope so. They're the bridges <laughs> in Madison County. <laughs> That said, we'll uh, we've 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 you've, if you're still with us, thank you, listener, for sticking it out. And we, we mean we mean in uh, season four, episode two coming up, not just this particular podcast. Indeed, and we shall meet you then. But before then, wish you a very safe and a very happy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at Crombies. Weekend at Crombies. I'm not going to cut in the music now, we'll just have this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.